Simpsons time. And this week is Mother's Day coming up this Sunday. Uh, and so I thought that I would talk about the amazing episode Mother Simpson, episode 136, came in season seven, written by Richard Appel, directed by David Silverman, uh, which just is one of everybody's favorites. There's a reason why I've already been doing Simpsons Time for two years, but I waited this long to talk about it because, you know, I wanted enough people to be aware of Simpsons Time by now that they would get really psyched that I talked about this one. Again, not to talk about my process over much. So up until this moment... In the run of The Simpsons, we have not seen any it, Homer's mother at all, nor any information about her. Um, there was one flashback rendered in black and white where she's shown just from the waist down uh, in a very sort of kitschy, 50s way, saying that Homer could grow up to be president or something. Um you know, that it's sort of like the Mark Anthony cartoon of the bulldog where you, you really only see the skirts of the woman who's in charge of him. Sort of like that. And so in this episode, they just go full bore introducing this new character and giving her a very, very interesting backstory, which fully and very satisfactorily explains why she has not been in the show thus far. Um, to wit, she was a radical in the 60s and had to go underground because she was a wanted criminal. Of course, so much of The Simpsons satirizes the 60s. Um, and the introduction of Mona Simpson makes the potential for that like so much greater because suddenly we have this occasionally recurring character that can be used to, uh, talk about the hippie experience and the radical experience and, um, the politics of the 60s in many more ways and uh, and that does happen down the line and unlike grandpa she's extremely likable we really see uh 
her influence on Homer, even though it was too brief. She had to leave the family when he was still a little boy. Um, but she's like a lovely person. And that, you know, it, it then makes sense that Homer should be sort of a decent guy at bottom and a very affectionate and kind person who loves his family, you know, and all that. Um, because if all the genes that he had came from grandpa, he would just be such a jerk. You know, of course, often he is a jerk. We can chalk that up to not, be, not just being the son of grandpa, but being raised by grandpa. Let's just say. So I've been boning up on this one, watching it, and I can't get through it without crying a little bit. You know, not like sobbing, but weeping, you know, water coming to the eyes. I just can't do it. It's almost like every time I watch it, I get a little more emotional because having spent these two years thinking about The Simpsons way more than I had before, it's so satisfying to see a great episode like this that uh, informs the lives of the characters so much. So here's the plot. There's a really boring power plant uh, sponsored event where they're all beautifying the highways on a Saturday. And everyone is mad about that. We do see Charlie. We don't hear from Charlie, but Lenny and Carl are grumbling. Lenny's like, this isn't fair. Half of these beers ain't even mine. <laughs> um... And it is at this event that Homer fakes his own death using a dummy that we can presume Bart helped him with because Bart is in on it. Uh, he makes it seem like he himself plummets down a waterfall and gets sucked into a turbine uh, after the beaver rescue falls short, of course. But uh, after that is seen to happen, we see that it's actually a dummy. And by the way, Bart is kind of good at making dummies. We see much later in Lisa Gets an A that he makes a dummy of Lisa. Um, so the whole town thinks that Homer is dead for just a really brief moment, and Marge is the only one that knows it's not true. Understandably, she's annoyed. I mean, she's not, like, that mad. She's just like, Homer, can you just... Can you just sort this out? Um, I think the final straw is when somebody cuts off her lights. Like there's a Con Ed guy shinnying up of the pole to cut off their power with some bolt cutters because the electricity is in the name of Homer Simpson deceased. Uh, and then you see the animation for a few seconds that's just the eyeballs. It's like in blackness and just eyeballs. That, by the way, is a convention that dates back to Life in Hell. There were several, many Life in Hell cartoons that were 
done in blackness with just the eyeballs and uh, like a word bubble. So Homer goes to like the town records keeper and asks to be made alive again. He has this like angry exchange with the very mild-mannered records keeper guy. Yeah, your youngest daughter. And uh, when he's reading the records of his life, he sees that there's a record of his mother being alive when, as he says, Grandpa has been telling her, telling him that she is dead this whole time. And he's also told him that there, there's a grave in the cemetery that is hers. You remember where I'm going with this? Leaves of grass, my ass. Very interesting that Homer has read Leaves of Grass, or at least knows that Walt Whitman wrote Leaves of Grass. Uh, yeah, uh, he is told to go up to the grave and actually look at it for the first time ever. And that is when he finds out that it's not his mother's grave after all, it is Walt Whitman's grave. He throws a tantrum and he ends up falling into the grave that has been dug for himself with this tombstone that Patty and Selma have bought that they've saved up for since uh, their wedding, since Homer and Marge's wedding. So he's lying in his own grave and that is when Mona Simpson appears. Get out of my son's grave. You're being so disrespectful, you awful man. And then suddenly, all is made clear that she's alive. One of many, many sweet moments when they finally realize, the two of them, who each other are. I almost always spoil the moment, says Homer. <laughs> And that cues a pelican to alight on his head and drop a fish into his pants. And I think that's the act break, actually, which is just perfect. At least it's the scene break. So Mother Simpson comes to stay with the family who are happy to have her, but very suspicious, except for Homer, uh, because they don't appreciate that she's been absent from their lives all this time uh and they deduce pretty soon that she's had a bunch of different identities because bart went through her purse and found all the uh id cards and so when confronted finally as she's lying on the couch reading a copy of Steal This Book. That's when the whole wonderful flashback sequence happens when she, you know, cracks and ends up telling them all uh, the real story about where she's been all this time. 
And how much does everyone love her, first of all, but, you know, the, the 60s Simpsons family with Homer playing Operation and uh, having the Fig Newton commercial as his lullaby and um, Mona's pink house coat at first and... Uh, I love that she says that Abe is still stuck in his buttoned-up, plastic, fantastic Madison Avenue scene, you know, to contrast her suddenly becoming a hippie. And <laughs> as she's saying that, we see Abe just slumped in the easy chair in, like, a stained undershirt, drinking a beer and watching football. <laughs> That's his Madison Avenue plastic, fantastic scene, I guess. Uh, I love the look of the TV when he's watching the Super Bowl. Uh, and there's Howard Cosell and there's um, Joe Namath's sideburns and all that. Uh, the way they upped the saturation to make it look like an old TV. I thought that was so clever. Of course, it is amazing that... <laughs> The moment of epiphany, you know, that she realizes that change is afoot in America. The thing that makes her realize that is the long hair of Joe Namath, the long sideburns. <laughs> and she wigs out on that. Um, there's a lot of good music in this as she's doing that with the great 360 degree shot of her uh, rotating. You hear the beginning of Sunshine of Your Love. Uh, later on during the protest, you hear All Along the Watchtower. And of course she sings Blowing in the Wind with, uh, with the guitar. She sings it for the kids. She goes and gets involved. She uh, helps to shut down Montgomery Burns's germ lab, uh, killing, among other germs, the rockin' pneumonia and the boogie-woogie flu. <laughs> boogie-woogie influenza, they call it. And, of course, young Clancy Wiggum, who is the security guard there, not able to get into the police academy because of his asthma, gets his asthma cleared up because of their... Uh, bomb that they set off to kill the germs they meaning the protesters that mona simpson has aligned herself with in her amazing new hip outfit by the way that's my total new style goals is mona simpson radical mona simpson circa 1960 question mark with her beret and turtleneck and tight jeans and fucking rocking the uh, leather tote bag that she she just looks great. Uh, all the protesters escape except for her because she goes back to try to help Mr. Burns up when he's trampled. Um, and so he gets a visual on her and that is what makes her into a wanted criminal that has to flee and say goodbye to her family forever. And that is just, just a very poignant moment when she 
kisses Homer goodbye and he's sleeping and he's just a little boy. <laughs> he didn't know. I don't remember any of the other protest signs. There was Pax Not Pox. That was one that I do remember. They say that her story is based more than anyone else on that of Bernadine Dorn, uh, who was part of the Weather Underground in the 60s. Um, although the beret really does make her look like Patty Hearst. <laughs> Kinda. So, yeah. So that story told and dispensed with, all the family forgives her and wants to help her stay underground and evade the law and all this. Um, she's very inspired by the kids, especially Lisa. Uh, saying the, the spirit of the 60s are alive in her, prompting the great laugh-in reference with uh, Maggie playing the Goldie Hawn part, you know, dancing the monkey with shit painted all over her. But people do catch up to her, and she has to leave again, and that's very heartbreaking and that ends up being a thread that runs through the entire series. Homer keeps losing his mother over and over again because she can't she can't ever stay. Um, the thing that uh, exposes her identity is they are in the post office together picking up all of the care packages that Homer never received. Um, and Burns is in there asking for the auto gyro to Siam or something like that. Uh, and he recognizes her and, uh, enlists the guys from Dragnet, which is another great 60s pop culture reference. And they did use the voice of Harry Morgan from Dragnet. Um, and the other guy was voiced by Harry Shearer in a very good impression. And those guys are used to very good effect. I love the little back and forth about uh, the one guy's son having been in Vietnam and in that very clipped rapid fire staccato style. He's like, it's a pain that never ends. Da, 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 da. Very good. Uh, and then Selma flirts with them in the pivotal moment when they finally find out who she is. Who Mona is, I should say. Ha <laughs> ha, I had no intention of playing the good cop. We're all good cops, ma'am. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, even to someone like me who never really watched Dragnet because it was way before my time. There's that nice little Wiggum line where he reads Homer's name upside down and then tells the patrol car to go to Greek town. Chief, you're talking into your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> love it. I love it. Uh, the the little run that happens twice is I seen her. That is to say, I saw her. That kind of makes me that. That's something that I uh, repeat. Um, another thing that I repeat a lot is a little from column A, a little from column B, which is something that Grandpa says in this episode. Uh, Grandpa does appear to chastise his wife and, um, you know, basically introduce himself into this drama so that Mona and Abe can have their reunion of sorts, which is totally acrimonious. <laughs> She's mad that he told Homer she was dead. He's mad because she left and still wants to have sex with her. Uh, and then <laughs> there's that great moment around the dinner table. Where she's like, oh, come on. Why don't you come back and be part of the family again? You can live with Grandpa. And then everyone, including Grandpa, like cracks up laughing for like five seconds, <laughs> which is a long time in the world of Simpsons. Uh, but it's not to be. Because the cops and Burns all catch up to her in the Simpson house at once. And that is the origin of that wonderful moment when Burns emerges from the tank and puts the little tape in the tank that's Ride of the Valkyries um, that cuts off and immediately becomes Waterloo by ABBA which was going to be my out song, and then I was like, nah, people have heard that too much. Fun trivia fact about the production of this. They wanted it to be Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go uh, that Smithers had taped over that tape with. But it was too expensive, so they got the ABBA song instead, which I think is just as good. M Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go would have been like so hilarious. Um, but I really like Waterloo, too. Uh, and that little shot of Burns coming out of the tank is based on a shot, a, a uh, campaign shot of Michael Dukakis doing that, um, that they wanted to send up because he looked so awkward. Mona Simpson leaves again in an electric van in the Springfield Badlands, and Homer has to bid her farewell. And he stays there all night sitting on the car, and the credits roll over that image of him doing that, which is just a lovely, lovely image that you can hear in my voice that I'm actually, like, breaking a little bit thinking about that. And the last joke before that happens, you know, leaving us to luxuriate in that lovely moment is um, she goes, you'll always be a part of me. And then <laughs> she bumps her head on the van. She goes, don't. <laughs> like, it's so cute. It's so lovely. Glenn Close. Really, really showing that she is an outstanding actress in this episode. Although she did not do the dope. She was not able to get it right and that was Pam Hayden doing the dope. Pamela. 
Didn't mean to be disrespectful <laughs> by saying Pam. The voice of Millhouse, among others, and an just immense talent. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. This has been Simpsons Time. How many roads must a man walk down Before you call him a man How many seas must the white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend All right, that's going to do it for Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator, a podcast from WFMU, hosted by me, Amanda Nazario, and possessing a very long name that it might not be easy to remember. You can just call it Simpsons Time or the Simpsons Time podcast if you want. Um, of course, right now it is not Mother's Day or Mother's Day week. We are coming up on Christmas, in fact, uh, and I have some stuff cooked up uh, in the next couple of weeks for the holiday season, which the Simpsons also... Uh, has been known to treat lavishly. Um, you're just going to have to stay tuned. Don't stay tuned now, but tune in again. Come back to the podcast next week to see uh, what indeed I will be doing. Thank you so much for listening and uh I will talk to you then. Bye.